0: Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Okay, so we've been doing a series this whole year called Living Jesus is Greater. Because the truth is, and I've said this over and over again, your issues in your life right now are because you aren't doing that, every one of them, can be boiled down to something else is greater, and it's usually, I don't want to spoil your day, it's usually you. (laughs) It is usually us that is elevating ourselves, and so what we've been talking about all year is this idea, if Jesus has called us to this life, what do we do with that? Because I believe, and you'll see this, and you have seen this all year, is that if we can get you, us, to live like Jesus is greater, greater, your life is going to be better, period. You're going to have less headaches. You're going to have better relationships. You're going to have a better, sustainable purpose for your life, period. And so I can't just tell you to do that. And so what we've done all year and will continue to do for the majority of this year is talk about this very idea. Because if we can help you do that, We'll help you be exactly what God's created you to be. So we're going to talk about um, this morning. Uh, I'm going to do our little reciting thing. We've done, we don't do this all the time, but it plays into what I want to do today. So I'm just going to go for it and I pre-warn you. God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. Okay, I, I, I tricked you. I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I tricked you. Did you mean it? Did you mean that? Like, God is good all the time? Because sometimes God doesn't feel like he's good. I'm I'm just going to be real honest. If you said that and you didn't mean it, that's okay. Our experience in history mess with us all the time. Sometimes it's because we don't understand why this thing has happened or is happening. Or sometimes we're just in the middle of it and we cannot see a purpose for what's going on. So it's really hard to go, God is good in this situation. I believe that some of our, if not most of our misunderstandings about God's goodness is because we hold, hear this, a performance-based acceptance. You look at God's goodness based on what you do, and you can earn his goodness by doing all the right things. When the truth is, all the wrong things are hurting you because you're doing wrong things. Not because God is sitting there going, I cannot wait for them to step out of line. And to be completely honest, a lot of our misconceptions happen because of our own view of our fathers, our own view. I mean, we were we were born into society that you get because you do everything, you know, from from, from some of the first words that you hear as a child is good or bad. Good boy, bad boy, good girl, bad girl. And so if you do the right things, you're good. And if you do the wrong things, you're bad. And period. And that's we have this whole lifestyle that's built on this flaw, this misconception, this fallacy. And a lot of us bring that into our Christianity. And so we equate our, our goodness and things that are going on based on what we do. And that's wrong. If you've been reading. <laughs> along with us in the one-year Bible. If you have no idea what that is, that's all right. You don't have to. Uh, but if you've been reading along with us in the one-year Bible, you're two and a half way, two and a half Gospels into the four Gospels. You've, you've seen over and over again some of the stories repeated through the Gospels. Jesus, which Jesus tells us himself that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we have a great representation And how Jesus feels about you and what lengths he'll go to to show you how much he loves you. Jesus offers life to the down and outers who had nothing to offer over and over again. He doesn't tell them to get their lives together and come back. No, he brings life to them there. This is what we'll see this morning. And Jesus said that all we need is faith as small as a mustard seed. It didn't have to be big. It didn't have to be perfect. So this morning, we're just going to hunt for some seeds. And it's spring. So we want seeds to grow into something uh, that has value. Here, so here's my one thing that I want you to hear. Jesus is the one that brings life. You do not bring life to yourself. You can do things that will help you feel better, but will, will that really lead to the life that you need? So I'm going to pray for us to get into the word. And I, I just got a text this morning, uh, for those that know Bob, um, he went to the ER this morning. So I'm going to pray for him in my prayer for the message. Uh, we love Bob, um, Bob and Barbara, and I encourage you to Continue to be praying um, for him, um, and tomorrow night's a great night to come here, and we're going to agree in prayer some more, um, but as I pray for this, I just encourage you to agree with me. <clears throat> Dearly Father, Lord, I just start praying for our brother, Bob. Lord, you, you know all the trials and tribulations that both of them have gone through. All the pain and suffering and all the little things that are going on. And Lord, you know what's going on with an elevated heart rate. Lord, you know what's going on with why he's in the hospital right now. And Lord, I, I just pray for, for your peace and your presence. And Lord, I pray that you would touch and heal Bob right now. Lord, I thank you for that sweet man and the joy he brings here. As he hugs and loves on us, his family. Lord, stand with them as we stand with them in prayer right now. And, Lord, we invite you into this morning. Lord, we, we need a touch. Lord, we need your peace. We need your power. We need to see how bold you are to confront the things that give us life. And so, Lord, as we get into your word, I pray that your word would speak to us this morning. Lord, places that we're still trying to make you happy by doing all the right things instead of just surrendering to you and letting you give us life. And in that life, we learn to live the way you've called us to. So show us your compassion this morning. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke 7, verses 11 through 17. An unusual um, encounter, a powerful encounter. And I'm going to make some implications uh, in this that um, hopefully the Lord can speak to our hearts through. Not necessarily, I've preached this in 2015. That's a great thing of keeping your notes. It's been seven years since I've talked about this specific text. Um, and I want to hit it from a different... Spot, because I think Jesus, uh, in everything He's doing, is always trying to get to sections of us that we're not letting Him in. So, verse eleven. Soon afterward, He went to a called a, a, a town called Nan, and His disciples and a great. Crowd went with him. Okay, so Jesus is walking, walking from town to town. He has a great crowd at this point that is following, it, including his disciples and other people's there watching. The Pharisees and Sadducees are always there to see what he's going to do, so that they could accuse him and get rid of him. But he has a great crowd that's just following him around. And I love this. He was on his way to somewhere else. Like, okay, Jesus is God. Don't get me wrong. But he, he was on a path of doing something. He had a purpose, he was going somewhere. And, and this wasn't necessarily his end stop, but he saw it in the middle. And I, I just, it, this isn't even part of my sermon. This is free. This is for, you know, no charge. Life with Jesus happens on the way to something else. Everything that Jesus is going to do in and through you, I think some of us are waiting for that like that moment when we arrive to do the big thing that Jesus called us to do. Instead of just living with Jesus and along the road, allowing him to change our course or see this other thing that this was just going on. And he just happens. No, it didn't really happen, but he just, this, th- these two groups meet or getting ready to meet And this crossroads on the place that he was going to. And in the middle of that, he had ministry that was getting ready to happen. So verse 12, it says, as they drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Okay, two large groups of people. And so we, we may not understand this, but in the Jewish culture, they did not bury people in town because the dead bodies and the places where the dead were, they were unclean. So they took them out of the town. So that's where they were going. They were, they were in full mourn, wailing, singing, praising, leading out to this place to bury this young man. And you may not have caught all of this, but he is the only son of a widowed mother. There was no social security back then. Your children, your heirs were your social security. They were the ones that would take care of you. And every bit of her hope and every bit of her future was in this box. Going out to be buried. Because the husband is gone and there's no other sons to care for her. The son represented her joy and strength in her future. Verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. Okay, this word compassion isn't like, oh, like he sees this and, you know, he gets a little compassion. The, the word literally meant it come from within, like deep down inside of him. He felt this pain. He sees this funeral procession going by and he had Compassion. Did he know them? Did he? he, No. But like he saw the pain and everything was going on and there was something inside of him that moved. And I I want you just to just grab this for just a minute. That's the Jesus that we were just singing about. The creator of the world (laughs) paused in this moment for this widow, and he felt compassion inside of him. Who wants a savior that feels that for people? (laughs) Me. Like we want this, and I think sometimes we have this view of God that's just angry and very peed off. I don't know if I can say the other word. Um, He's just mad all the time instead of this God that has compassion for those that are lost and hurting And he tells her not to weep, which is just a dumb thing to say. I mean, just try this out. Just go to a random funeral where you don't know anyone and go to the ones that are in the family and tell them not to cry anymore. It's silly. But Jesus had a purpose in what he was saying. He was getting ready to do something miraculous. And I don't know if you realize this. And I just said this. There's two large crowds watching what is getting ready to happen. Verse 14, and then he came up and touched the buyer, which is the coffin, which for those that have also been reading their one year Bible, they've read lots on what is unclean and clean and the dead are not clean so much so that they would have to be separated for a period of time and and holy men would not reach down and touch the dead and here's, here's the beauty of this. Jesus didn't have to touch. We saw, we just talked about a couple of weeks ago, he could speak a healing from down the street, down the road, across the world. He didn't have to touch. But he walks up to this crowd of people and he stops what's going on. He tells the widow not to weep and he touches the coffin, which no other holy man Is going to do because that right there separates him and he's now unclean. And let me, let me just, let me translate this to you. Jesus will reach in and touch your garbage. He's not afraid of what you have done. He's not afraid of your unclean, uncleanliness. I think that's our view, is that he's a standoff God. And I just want you to see this imagery of what Jesus is going and doing and bringing his peace to in the middle of. I think some of us sitting here in this room be like, man, if God really knew, he wouldn't. That's that's why he doesn't love me. You know, what if you had a God that loved you knew all about that and still approached and still was willing to put his hands in places and fix and restore things that you think there's no chance. There's no possibility of this being restored or fixed. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's touching this coffin. Jesus was not afraid of disorder or dysfunction or dirtiness. He sees brokenness, that can be healed by his touch. Verse 15. Oh, sorry, I didn't finish. 14. <clears throat> and the bearer stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. This is crazy. Crazy. And, um, was a youth pastor for nine years before we came here. I had uh, two uh, 18-year-olds that died within two months of each other. My first funeral ever. And one of them um, was a car wreck. Actually, he and his best friend were not wearing seatbelts, and um, they ran a stop sign and got clipped and rolled the vehicle and ejected both of them in the front seat. Girlfriend in the back seat had a seatbelt on, scratches and bruises. I remember riding to Fayetteville to the hospital there and they had already pronounced him dead. But he was still in life support because he was a donor. Still breathing mechanism. I remember the dad taking me into the room and I was broken. I thought... Why in the world would this be happening? And I put my hand on his shoulder, and I did not say this out loud because the dad was in the room. I said, get up. Like I wanted everything in me for this kid to come back to life. Mostly because at that point I was the father of a son, and I could see my own kid... Um, in this one, and I can imagine what was going on with this mom and dad that everything they thought and hoped and dreamed for their son was now gone. And I wanted him to get up and I'd love for the story to be that he got up. He did not get up. You know, I wish a lot of times that I had the wisdom to understand what's going on. And I still, I still don't have a wisdom to say about this about why this young man and his friend uh, that day didn't live. But I do know that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Because we see. The picture of a compassionate Savior that was willing to speak. Jesus spoke. See, there's a difference between you and Jesus and me and Jesus. When Jesus speaks, things happen. And this is why it's important for it not to be about us and not to be about our prayer and not to be about our faith and our whatever. It's about Him. And us trusting God to do the thing that we couldn't. Because when Jesus spoke, this young man (laughs) set up. He set up. When Jesus speaks life, something happens. Let me just tell you, when Jesus speaks life into you, something should happen. And it's not perfect, and it's not pretty. Because let me just tell you, it was not pretty when this dead man set up. I've seen way too many movies. But like, ter- you know, like when the angel appears and everybody's terrified, when the dead man sits up in the coffin, everybody steps back. Look at this in 15. It says, and the dead man set up and began to speak. I want nothing more than to know what this man said. It maybe it was his last thought right before he died, like, Mom, I forgot to put the eggs in the refrigerator. I mean, maybe it was something as simple as that, or maybe, you know, I I don't know. But he said some words. And you know why I think he said some words? It's because Jesus wanted everyone to know right then that he didn't do half. He didn't just make this body move. But speaking means intelligence, means that he's not only back alive like I, and, you know, brain dead, that he's alive and speaking. I don't know what those first words are, and if you're in a small group, uh, y'all are going to talk about that this week. Verse 16. Fear sees them all. Yes. And they were glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. Do you know that really close to this place, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Elijah, Elijah. Raise someone from the dead. And if you want to read about these in First Kings seventeen, Elijah raised someone from the dead, and Elisha in Second Kings four did the same thing. So when they're saying a great prophet has risen, it was because God had done this before in other men of God. And Jesus was like prophets, but so much more, which we're going to talk about over the next two weeks. Verse 17, and this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Shocker. Look, the same reason that Jesus publicly raised this kid from the dead in the middle of a crowd of people is the same reason that Jesus allowed himself to be publicly crucified. There would be no doubt that he died, so that there would be no doubt. That he rose from the dead. Right in front of these people. So what do we do with this? And this is where I want to diverge. This is what salvation looks like. It's not what they're talking about. This is physical life. But this is what salvation and the gospel looks like how much of that dead man would bring anything how much of him would do anything to bring him back to life nothing what power did he have to bring himself back from the dead none and what did what did god do through jesus he did what he couldn't what this man couldn't do he was dead And Jesus brought life to that place. That's what salvation looks like. That's what salvation in Jesus Christ looks like. He does what we could not do. And many of you, including me, four years, have gotten in the way of what God is trying to do because you are trying to be God. You're trying to do the thing that you cannot do when we need to picture ourselves like the young man sitting in the coffin with no capacity to change our lives or restore anything to life. And it is only by the touch of God that there is resurrection in us. Only. Instead, many of you, including me, for a long time listened to the wrong preacher And just said, if you try harder, God will love you. If you tried harder, God would heal you. If you tried harder, God would do It's whatever. Like there isn't an equation that if you do A, B, and C, God owes you anything. It's by the mercy of God that we cry out and say, God, I need you. I am desperate for you. And the moment you leave that, you walk out of what God is calling you to live in. It is not through you that restoration is going to happen. It is through a surrendered you to the right person, Jesus. Listen to this in 1 John, chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin to pay the price for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. See, I think many of us are waiting to where you can love God like you should, instead of realizing that God loved you first Because if we will understand the grace of God, we will understand the the restoration that he's trying to do in us. Look at what he did for you. He loved you first. If you're submitted and surrendered to Jesus and he's your Lord and Savior, it's because he pursued you. It's because he loved you first. First. And if you have it the opposite way around, you will ruin what God wants to do in you. Because then it will be more about you. It will be in your control. And nothing, hear me in this, nothing is in your control. Tomorrow, our life can be over. Tomorrow. If you think gas prices and rising interest rates are scary, we have no control over anything. And the problem with that is that we try to control everything that we can, even in our religion, instead of surrendering, instead of realizing what Jesus has done. We we look at ourselves as a, a great prize instead of a wretched, filthy, dead man. This young man wasn't a prize to Jesus. Jesus had compassion on him and brought life. And restoration to Him. Are you hearing the call from God to arise? I, I believe uh, we're heading into a season of Christianity in the U.S., that's going to be more about holiness. That's going to be more about real repentance. That's going to be more about a life in the right kingdom. And it starts with this realization and hearing. I believe, I, I feel, and, and maybe you're feeling this too. I believe we're on the verge of something. I, I, I feel like the voice of God is calling out to his children. Saying, trust me. Trust me. Stop trying to justify why you've been where you're at and just trust me. Stop trying to defend your sin. And let me just tell you, because sometimes when we start talking about the grace of God and the love of God, we think that God is light on our sin. And he's not. But we think of it wrong, I believe. I think we think God's just angry because we're sinning and the wrath of God is coming for us. I believe it's the love of God that's coming for us because your sin is leading to death. I think God loves you so much and wants sin out of your life, not because not just because of his holiness, but he wants it because he loves you and he understands that your sin is destroying you. And at some point we'll begin to believe him and say, yes, yes. I've got to step out of this thing and we allow him to give us the power to do so. And so part of that question is, are you hearing the call? What is he calling you out of? There's a coffin that we're sitting in that God is calling us to arise out of it. And let me just tell you, the young man didn't just rise up and speak and stay seated in that coffin the rest of his life. He got out of it. And as God calls you to rise out and brings life into you, step out of whatever he's calling you out of. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's anger. I don't know if it's lust. I don't know if it's coveting. I don't know if it's greed. I don't know if it's control. But none of those things are going to give you what Jesus is trying to offer you for free. Because if we look at the kingdom, th- this life is light and momentary. It is a vapor. We're, we're practicing right now for the eternity that, John, that God has with us, his children. Here's another question for you. What would change if it became all about Jesus instead of just trying harder? What would change if literally today when you walk out of this room, you were 100% it's all about Jesus? It's all about Jesus being greater and it's not about just me not doing the thing. I don't know if you've noticed this. If you've ever tried to not do something... I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to fill in the blank. What do we end up doing? We end up doing that thing. But if we start looking to Jesus as our life and we start letting him lead us, he'll lead us out of those things. Here's my last verse. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. Paul and Galatians, people were trying to do things, mostly circumcision, telling you that, you know, you you have to do this to be loved by God, to be cared by God, and and you're not really, you're not really there unless you do these things. And Paul has some pretty harsh words for people, I mean, he, he... he tells some of them people that they should just go all the way. Y'all can read that later. But this is what he says to those that are trying to work out their salvation on their own. And they're trying to perfect this thing that God started. Listen to this in Galatians three, three, are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? God's calling us to righteousness. God is calling us to holiness. And that means actions. That means doing things differently. But that does not mean us doing it on our own. Some of us right now are doing everything they can to perfect what only the Spirit can do. And to fix things that only the Spirit can fix. And so, my prayer for you as we end today is what is Jesus calling you out of? Where are you just trying to try harder instead of just surrendering to Jesus? Where is your view of God the Father so shaped you with fear and angst that you're afraid to go to Him? You're afraid to approach him when Jesus is telling us, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Like, what if our view of the father was literally shaped by the man that we see in the four gospels? Like, what, what if today... In the end of the service, we could just go, Jesus, I need you. I need you to speak life into me. I'm tired of trying to do it myself. I'm tired of trying to muscle this through. I need you. I think the most powerful thing that you could do today is not determine within yourself to not do A, B, or C. I think the most powerful thing that you can do today is surrender. And just say, Jesus, I've been messing this up royally because I've been trying to do this without you and I need you. And this does not mean that you'll do it perfectly. But this means that Jesus will begin to lead you through a pattern that will lead you to life. Because you'll start in this place of trusting him, believing in him and allowing him into things that you've been trying to fix yourself if your marriage and your life and your finances are a wreck and you've been doing everything in your power to fix them, today's the day that you just go, God, I need you. Let me just tell you, I I, I feel like God's done some amazing things in my life in the last four months. He hasn't finished. Let me just tell you that. And every time I think... And a little bit of arrogance and a little bit of cockiness that I've gotten good. The flesh in me is like, hey, buddy, I'm still here. And you know what I can do? I can get angry at that. I can get frustrated at that and be like, why am I there again? Or I can go, God, I need you again. And that's what the gospel, that's what living in the gospel is. Is you every day waking up and saying, God, I need you again. Because there are tough times coming for those in this room. And those will determine who we are in Christ. And what I encourage you now is to do the work now. So that when the trials and tribulations come, we can do the James and the Romans of going considerate pure joy. When you face these trials. And they're never to break you. There to build you. And you know what? In those moments of our greatest pain and suffering, Jesus is there. Comfort. Having compassion on us. Let's pray. Jesus. Lord your Holy Spirit is here in this room and you love us Lord you're sitting beside the Father right now interceding for your children and your future children and Lord you know what we need Lord I I pray that there would be a moment of clarity like we've never experienced Lord I I, I pray that you would expose our power, uh, our desire for power and control over even our own salvation. And Lord, that we would acknowledge that we're just like this young man with no power to bring life to us, but you do. Lord, I pray that we would ask
1: that you would call us
0: out of these places, that we would lean into you. Lord, I pray that you would bring salvation today. Not a not a cheap like, oh yeah, I got saved, but like this deep longing inside of us that we know that we are now your children. Lord, forgive us for trying to do your job. And Lord, I thank you for the ministry that you've called uh, not only this church too, but those in this church. I pray that you would release us into the world. Lord, as we see you and trust in you and live for you, Lord, I pray that our lives along the journey would influence and affect other people. So, Lord, speak to us this morning, Lord. I pray that this would be a morning of confession. Lord, I pray that for those in this room, uh, Lord, that, that need that that encouragement, Lord, I pray that they would be bold enough to go to our prayer people at the end of this service. And just say, I need, I need agreement. I need an extra grace this morning. Lord, thank you for showing us who you are over and over again in Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.